All right, welcome to On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. As I look around the room going counterclockwise for this uh, episode, which we are going to call A Traveling Bird Hunting Adventure on a Budget. Uh, to my left, frequent co-host, the manager of public relations, Jared Wicklin. Thanks for that introduction, <laughs> Bob. Good to be here. I'm glad to have some of our longtime staffers in the state of Minnesota here. I think this is going to be a great episode. I would compare it to, uh, I used to be big into Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel. This is myth myth busting about... Uh, taking a bird hunting trip and what it what it can be and what it doesn't have to be i guess are two different things but the the cost is something that worries a lot of people and um i think by listening to this podcast you're gonna get a lot of you're gonna get a lot of great ideas uh about where to go and and how to do things on a budget when it comes to bird hunting so i'm excited for it i've been waiting yeah. for this one all week i am excited as well and and uh, our featured guests uh continuing around the table we have Sabin Adams from uh, Long Prairie, Minnesota, and Sabin's title is Habitat Restoration Specialist for the state of Minnesota. Welcome to On the Wing, Sabin. Thanks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, traveling on a budget is uh, not the easiest thing to do, but Will and I seem to pull it off a couple times a year, and uh, I can't wait for this coming fall. We've got some trips planned for this fall. We're still working out the details, but uh, it's going to be good. Uh, in rounding out uh, our our guest lineup this afternoon is Will Clayton, regional representative for, are you Western Minnesota? Eastern Minnesota. Eastern, oh, the beast from the east. I should have known that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Will Clayton from Eastern Minnesota, and you live in Carver? Is I that li- right? I live in Mound, so Mound. the very okay. west metro. West of the Twin Cities. So. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, unique on this particular episode is all three of you guys have either biology or natural resource degrees. So I'm going to start with a bit of trivia that was directed my way via email (laughs) from one of your cohorts, which I found interesting. Uh, Josh Meisner asked me a biology question and I, I thought that I had the answer and I did indeed have it right. And I, I think this is going to be... I think Saban's going to be able to nail this one like well, then ask Will. instantaneously <laughs> uh, because Saban lives, Saban lives where um, the, the prairie and the forest intersect. Fact. So the question from Josh is this. Do pheasants eat acorns? A farmer has been asking me to ask this question about pheasants because... Um, a hunter that hunts his land says he shot a pheasant with acorns in its crop. The farmer never heard of this and was curious if it was actually true or not. Sabin, do pheasants eat acorns? I would say absolutely. I mean, uh, all kinds of other birds eat acorns. I don't know why a pheasant wouldn't eat an acorn if it had an opportunity to do so. Now, you're probably not going to see a pheasant like deep in the forest picking acorns but if you've got a lone oak or a group of oaks in some opening dropping acorns absolutely they would eat it for sure will would you like to weigh in (laughs) well 
my extensive <laughs> biological experience. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, they, we always talk about pheasants being a generalist, right? Mm-hmm. They kind of, they're just opportunists. Mm-hmm. And I, while I've never dug in the crop of a pheasant and found acorns or anything like that, to me, it's I'm along the lines of Saban. I, I would think they'd probably they'd probably hammer acorns if they had the opportunity. Jared Buntcake Wicklin <laughs> from from Duluth, Minnesota. What say you? You know, the first thing that popped in my mind, I think I've actually read that that quail eat acorns as well. Um, I don't remember where I read that, where it was from, or who wrote it, but I got to think if a quail could do it, a pheasant should be able to do it pretty easy. Well, and a thing to keep in mind is that there are a lot of different species of oaks in the United States, and some of them have very small acorns. So Good point. I don't think a quail is going to be very um, like a able white to oak eat or a white oak. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. great big acorn as big as its head. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 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 We're, lo- we're, losing, we're losing quail because they're choking to death. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so you guys are successfully uh, deduced the proper um, response. Which I, I was along the same lines. I, I know that rough grouse 100% eat acorns. So I was like, well, if a pheasant that's around oaks, why the heck not? And so I validated that with biologist um, uh, on the staff here, Ron Leathers. He answered to me, absolutely, with the only exception that uh, spring hens who are selecting high calcium foods, they won't eat acorns, but pheasants are generally non-selective and eat whatever foods are available during the season. Mast-producing trees are less prevalent in pheasant country than in other food sources, so they're not as common um, in birds' crops. But uh, where birds have pheasants have access to acorns, they will undoubtedly eat acorns for the high fat and protein content. So there you go. Pheasants, Josh... Pheasants eat acorns. (laughs) All right. Now to the business of this episode, uh, a traveling bird hunting adventure on a budget. Um, Before we dive deep into that topic, I'd like to learn a little bit more about each of our guests. And we'll start with the man with one of the most unique names on the team. So the the name Sabin, yeah. Mr. Sabin Adams. Where does the name Sabin come from? Well, there's a town on your way if you're taking 94 from the cities up to the Twin Cities up to Fargo. Uh there's a town called Sabin and a lot of people ask that and if they say is it because of that I just say yes cuz then we don't have to get into it. But the truth of it is um at least this is how my mother has described it to me when she was in college she was reading this romance novel, and uh, oh, it, it yeah. was actually the bad guy in the <laughs> like story <laughs> was named Sabin. Um, and, but she doesn't remember which one it was um, or the year that she read it. She just saw the name and liked it, and there it is. So. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were – when you talked about going up 94, there's a city there. I thought you were going to tell us that's where you were conceived, and that's where it came up from. But I, never, I never asked her, and I'm not going to find apparently out. Apparently I'm off, <laughs> off point on that one. I know the truth in that story from another coworker, but I'm not going to mention his name on the podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're already here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, after your mom was reading these dirty books. <laughs> I'm going to have my mom. Listen to this. <laughs> well, well, tell us the rest of your life story, Sam. <laughs> the rest of it. Um, well, uh, I grew up um, 
in a small town or outside of a small town in the middle of nowhere, central Minnesota in Todd County. Um, that's where I lived most of my life. That's where I started hunting. Um, that's where I began. Um, and so I, I actually don't live in Long Prairie anymore. I live in a little town of Osakis now, which isn't too far away, but it's a different area. So shout out to Osakis. You um, wanted better walleye fishing. Uh, apparently so, yeah. It, we, it wasn't very far before to get to Osakis, but yeah, that's where I am now. So, What, uh, what habitat restoration specialist for Pheasants Forever, tell us what you do. Do you work with... Do you work with grasslands? Do you work with wetlands? Do you work with both? What does that job entail? Just about uh, everything that you can think of from A to Z. Um, if we uh, purchase a property and we want this property to go from what it is now to high-quality pheasant habitat, mm-hmm. um, so everything in between, whether that is uh, working with a farmer on a, a farm lease um, to make sure that we don't have residual chemicals in the soil that are going to hurt our grassland planting, Maybe that's um, removing some old buildings that are going to be a hazard to hunters and hikers that are out on the property, removing a fence, um, all the way up to doing all of the actual great restoration work, um, putting together seed mixes, hiring contractors to do that, doing a prescribed fire, all of the great stuff to make a property come from what it is now to great pheasant habitat, as well as doing restoration and enhancement work on existing uh, habitat. So wildlife managers wildlife management areas that are already in existence, turning them into better habitat. So a lot of the new uh, wildlife areas, <coughs> waterfall production areas that Pheasants Forever uh, basically come comes in and improves, and then when we turn those over to a public entity, it's there's a high probability that you've probably touched that at one point or another. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. That's cool. Yep. Uh, and a lot of folks probably know you through your your extracurricular activities through the the bird tales. I would imagine we have a little bit of overlap between the viewership. <laughs> so if if folks haven't heard of the bird tales, explain the bird tales. Uh, so the bird tales is my vlog that I do during the hunting season and a little bit during the off season. Uh, but basically, I strap a backpack with a camera um on every time i go out hunting and uh i chase around some dogs and i talk to the camera and try not to look like an idiot and uh, i put together an episode every single week uh throughout the whole entire hunting season basically from the beginning of september till the end of january um me chasing dogs sometimes will's there and yeah. you're a really good shot by the way yeah well, he is sometimes yeah yeah uh, you're, no, you're, you're really <laughs> good i've watched all of those and you. it is it is more than a backpack with a camera i mean you had to do a little bit of high level engineering to make this work yeah i'm uh, i'm on uh i think i'm gonna make a new one coming up here um but i think i'm on backpack mount number seven that i've made and i've went through five gopro cameras um and yeah it's just walking especially rough grouse hunting is just so t- t- tough on a visually explain it for listeners okay so um i've got a backpack on and out the top of the backpack is um well there's a inside the backpack is a pvc support system and out the top of the backpack is another piece of pvc that turns and comes over my right shoulder and uh holds up a gopro camera so basically, you get to see everything that's happening over my right shoulder, down my gun barrel at all times. And so then I have, in the backpack, I have an external um, an external uh, battery so I can record for 
five hours, um, and I just record everything that happens during that whole entire that whole entire time. And, and we did a, um, a hunt together last fall for an episode that will be on the flush this yep. coming fall. And I, if listeners have seen the uh, old Gene Wilder movie, Young Frankenstein, yeah, that, like <laughs> it, it felt like you know Saban's walking around with this extra arm coming out of his back right yeah. with a camera on. felt like young frankenstein was following me around <laughs> like whoo that guy's spooky what's yeah. going on yeah but but you mentioned it like uh pheasant hunting is one thing you're walking through brush and grass and whatnot and yet you, you encounter some obstacles <laughs> but i can't imagine trying to grouse hunt with yeah. an extra like basically shoulder and arm yeah just wicked crazy it's really difficult um but you kind of you learn to adapt with it you learn to like lead with that arm so it goes into the trees first and i put my hand on top of the camera to support it and just kind of just kind of bob and weave that's you know kinda, that's my favorite part sorry bob and no, weave. No, 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 that's my fine. favorite part about the show though is that um, you know, when your when your dog was on point or the dog was getting birdie and you'd be going up and you're like, well, I don't know what it's going to be. It's either a pheasant or a rough grouse, you know, yeah. and then you got to make you got to make that, that decision at that time to take the shot. And I don't know. I think it's cool country that you're. Hunting that area. Well, now when he walks through an oak forest, he really has no idea what. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny you would, you would bring that up because last year was one of the weirder. Uh, I'd never had this happen, but right away on pheasant opener, I shot a rough grouse in the middle of a CRP field on a walk-in access property, and I mean, it was a half mile, three quarters of a mile to any trees, and there's this rough grouse, uh, flushed a hen pheasant, and then up got this rough grouse that I shot. And uh, later, at the end of the season, walking through this woods that I've hunted for rough grouse, I don't know how many times, uh, dog goes on point. I go up there thinking this will be a rough grouse for sure, and a great big rooster gets hmm. up. Did you get so, him? I got him. Yeah. yeah. Sabin rarely misses. I know. Hey, we, we did, a, I don't know, three days we filmed, and I don't know, you maybe missed once. Yeah. It was, you were, I mean, how did you become such a great shot? missed a lot Did you? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just um i hunt a lot i shoot a little bit of, of uh a trap but not yeah i don't put a lot of practice into it but i do a lot of um just practice mounting the gun mm-hmm. so i know how my gun feels i know when i'm looking down the sights and uh, i just try to stay out of my head is what i do i know that if i'm looking at this bird i'm gonna hit it but yeah. if i'm thinking about hitting that bird i'm gonna miss it and there was a streak this year where I, I missed about four birds in a row, and it was all in my head mm. because I just couldn't. Instinct couldn't comes stop. back to instinct. Yep, just well, shut those, the head down. And those go. four <laughs> birds were not on the trip that you later. and I were. Um, so, uh, you know, folks that have followed you uh, through the bird tales, they, you know, they, they probably are aware of you suffered some pretty personal tragedy this, this past um, Christmas time. And you kind of explain, you know, what happened and then, you know, not to bring it down, but, that, you know, there was some uh, a light at the other side and, and that you're doing really well. Yeah. And so um, I guess the reason that we moved to Osakis is that on December 29th, uh, we had a fire. Um, our furnace caught fire and uh, it was a pretty quick ordeal from my understanding of it. It only took about five minutes probably, um, but the furnace caught fire and uh, burnt up the wall and the ceiling in our house, filled the house with smoke and pretty much, de- well, destroyed our house and um, 
our two dogs were in there too, and we lost uh, Daisy and Remnar. Um, so it was really tough there for a while. Um, but, uh, you know, you can't, you can't move past things, um, unless you accept them and, and, uh, move past them. Mm -hmm. And so we did, we bought a new house that we absolutely love. I've got a waterfall production area, like right there that I was just walking on yesterday. Um, and, uh, we bought two short hairs, uh, puppies because I am just an absolute glutton for punishment because one is really <laughs> difficult. So I had to get two. You know, um, so we're working on training them and just happy to be past that part and really looking forward to the fall. That's awesome. So Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll say one of the questions I asked earlier is how you became such a good shot. And I will I will say you're a good shot naturally, but your darn dog, Remnar, Remnar, the wonder dog. Yeah, he probably, was. you know, I'm. I've hunted with a pile of different bird dogs over the years, and that was, you know, no doubt the best bird dog I've ever hunted behind, which made you a better shot yeah. just, just naturally. Um, but, you know, I, I can't imagine how difficult that was. Yeah, it was tough. He, he was a really, a really great dog. And uh, I'll, give, I'll give as much credit to him as I possibly can, um, but I think – I'm not um, a particularly good bird trainer. I have I've had a lot of people say, "Oh, you should make some episodes about how you bird train. You must be great dog at dog train." It. You mean? Yeah, how you dog train? Sorry. Um, and I say I'm not doing that because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but what I do know is that the more birds that my dog sees, the better he is. And so, Remnar's the secret with Remnar is we just went a lot. As soon as we could be out on public land uh, mm -hmm. in the summertime, it was a couple nights a week. We were looking for birds. And then as soon as hunting season comes, it's just nonstop. And he's, you're going to figure it out quick because yeah. we're going. How, so. old, how old was he? How old was Remnar? Uh, he would have been. Daisy? So uh, Remnar would have been a year and nine or ten months. Really? Yeah. yeah. So he had a lot of time left. <clears throat> insane how good it is. Yeah, at that age. He yeah. really – he was very intuitive. He mm -hmm. knew exactly what the point was. If that guy with the gun doesn't yeah. get over here, <laughs> we're not getting that, and I don't get to put it in my mouth. Yeah, and I so. don't mean to um, you know, not mention Daisy. I just don't think we hunted Daisy. No, we didn't. Um, so Daisy was a uh, Black Lab short hair mix uh, that I got when I was in college, and she was nine years old. Um, and I had just been hunting her less and less um, – she was a flushing dog, and she didn't retrieve, um, but she she was the dog that I started bird hunting, hmm. really started bird hunting, shot birds when I was a kid and stuff, but when you've got your own dog and sure. you flush your own dog, or you flush your own birds over your dog, it's something mm -hmm. magical. Um, so that's how, she was how I got started. Um, but once I got Remnar, and um, she was getting older, and she definitely had a little bit of arthritis, and she was losing her hearing uh, big mm -hmm. time. She was having trouble hearing. So I took her out a bit, but just off and on and for the show when you're making a tv show right a pointing dog that's staunch is a is a lot easier than yep. a flushing dog that's just going crazy sure. but uh yeah daisy was a was a, a heck of a good bird dog too she could she didn't always listen and she didn't always stay in range but she would find <laughs> every <laughs> single bird and i think when she was younger we lost a few pheasants that were wounded but once she figured it out i never lost birds mm. We would go miles with me thinking, oh, we already lost that one that I that I winged. It's gone. And then she'd get it. So um, last uh, um, question on this point. Uh, the two pups now are named what? 
Gilligan and the Skipper. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, love so that show. We, we we call him we call him Gilly and Skip. <laughs> Why not Ginger and Marianne? Because yeah. they're boy <laughs> they're dogs. Both, yeah, they're okay. both males. So yeah. you're gonna get two female pups next year. <laughs> yeah, if you could sell my wife on that one, you know, I'm I would be okay with with uh, more dogs, but um, no. Probably, right. probably not. I told her you know, we're going to be on like a seven-year rotation. Mm. So once they hit like seven, it's time to get a couple more, yep. you know, and just keep it keep it growing. And she was kind of hesitant on that, but we got seven years to figure it out. So, And will the beast from the east, will the thrill, let's say that. Yeah, let's go with that one. Um, <laughs> you're, you're a setter guy, right? You bet, yeah. So tell us how you evolved into a setter guy. Did you grew up in Minnesota? Yeah, I grew up in uh, west central Minnesota, um, a little town called New London, which would be north of Wilmer. Um, and it, I mean, it was just a great spot to grow up, but I, at the time you don't really realize it, um, until you start moving around the state and move around. But, you know, I had, uh, I had public land and, uh, right out my back door hmm. and we were always out and about, um, a group of buddies of mine hunting and, and, uh, and then fishing on all the lakes around there. It was just a, a magical spot. Um, so it was pretty natural for me to, uh, kind of get into the wildlife business, right? The conservation aspect of things and, uh, Went from, from that area up to Fargo, uh, NDSU, and got a natural resource management degree and found myself here. So hmm. I've been doing this whole outdoors thing and, and wildlife and hunting and fishing all my life. And then, you know, just recently, as you start thinking about a career, dig back into conservation and start giving back. So it's, so been, you, it's been good. You started as a Farmville biologist with Pheasants Forever, correct? Correct. Yeah, right out of college. Uh, my bamboozled somebody into hiring me. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, started there and uh, was in uh, western Minnesota and uh, working with landowners and just like uh, all of our great farm bill biologists in this organization. And did that for a year and eight months and, and uh, then moved all the way over here uh, to the land of concrete. And, <laughs> and now you're a regional rep. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So explain for listeners what a regional rep does. I, um, I serve our chapter leaders. I serve the 37 chapters in eastern Minnesota. Um, I help them fundraise, uh, put on their banquets. I help them um, you know, strengthen their chapters, recruiting, um, public relations, uh, just building that small community group, you know, and making them stronger. And then also, you know, our local model, they're in control of our fund, the, mm -hmm. their funds. I mean, it's their decision how they want to spend it and deliver the mission. And so I help them do that. I help facilitate that, leverage those dollars, uh, work with Sabin and the other great Minnesota staff to get that done. And it's, um, it's every day. I mean, these are volunteers and the work that they do is, uh, it's, it's amazing. So getting to serve those guys is a dream, and uh, that's what being a regional rep is all about. Those guys and, oh, and those girls. That's right. Oh, we, uh, we recently started um, an all-women's chapter here in the metro area, and they never cease to amaze me. Uh, they're, they're, they've grown. I think we chartered them in, like, December, and, you know, every meeting I go to, there's, there's 20 to 30 at these chapter meetings, and they've got – um, all, I mean, their first fundraisers, basically all these merchandise has already all been donated and their, their reach on social media is like nothing I could ever imagine with a chapter so young. And I, I'm, I'm excited about what they're, what they're going to do. And the name of the chapter and how to find them? The Legendary Longtails. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not a big social media guy, but I'm pretty sure if Look you... Look for them on Instagram and you'll find them you'll instantly. Find them. The you'll Legendary <laughs> Longtails. Yes, for sure. 
You'll see Will in a photo of a hundred different uh, Minnesota gals, and he's never looked happier. (laughs) Pretty infamous photo now. (laughs) (laughs) Will uh, Will, um, is the regional rep for Washington County, which is a chapter I'm a part of, and Boy, you should you should see this cat run a gun raffle. I'll tell you what, he can he can sell a ticket to just about anybody. I I find it uh, phenomenal to watch. So he's a he's a great regional rep, and he's always keeping in touch with the chapters, including ours. And he does a great job here in Eastern Minnesota. Is there a um, community in the eastern part of the state that you're hoping to start a chapter in the in the future? You know, there is, it's hard to believe we've got a lot of chapters in the metro area, uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the, the greater area, you know, suburbs around there. But um, there's also a lot of people and mm-hmm. a lot of members. And so, uh, to be honest, in my hometown, this mound, the western Minnetonka, the west metro, um, we've got a, a niche there where I think we could start one. And I, I see Pheasants Forever stickers on trucks all over the place sure. out there. And uh, starting a chapter is a is a pretty giant endeavor. And when you've got a lot of new chapters going in the state, I really like to focus on it. And so once I once the we get this women's chapter through their first fundraiser, and a few others, um, I think that's where I'm headed next. Okay. I just think the potential in that area is is astronomical, to be honest. And so if folks listening, <clears throat> maybe they live in that Mound, uh, Minnetonka area, they want to reach out, or maybe they're somewhere else in the state and they just want to get connected to a chapter how do they reach you um well um w clayton at pheasantsforever.org uh that and i'm in inside cover of the pf journal there you uh, go published to however 140,000 people so that's w c l a y t o n at pheasantsforever.org that's right all right now to the business of the podcast i i um, solicited uh, all the regional directors in the organization. I said, fire some some uh, topics at my way that you'd like to hear about the podcast uh, in the future. And your guy's boss, Tom Fuller, said, you got to get Will and Saban on to <laughs> talk about their legendary adventures. And I kind of thought, you know, is this... Is this uh, is he just Bill and Ted? Yeah. Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. What are, what are, <laughs> it might be. What, what are we doing we'll see here? We're not going down that road. And he, and he said, yeah. you know, these guys take trips all over the upper Midwest. They're out Great Plains um, during the hunting season, and they do it on a really, really tight budget. And I thought that was a, a perfect topic for a conversation that you know there is that perception out there that you got to have big bucks to go you know to south dakota and and you know have a night at a lodge and guarantee yourself birds right and but in the the reality is there's a lot of blue collar public lands opportunity wherever you look in pheasant country and that's what we want to talk about today so let let's start by you know maybe giving us a uh, overview of some of the places that you've you know traveled in in recent years that really um to get people interested so i guess i can start um the thing that makes us really fortunate to be in minnesota is that well minnesota itself is a great destination to hunt upland birds pheasants rough grouse sharp tail grouse in the northwest um so we spend a lot of time in minnesota um bouncing all over the place so that'd be one thing that I think about all the time is how can I, and Will knows that I say this all the time, season extender, 
that's what I want to do. Mm. Um, I want to hunt as I want to be outside chasing my dogs as many days of the year as I possibly can. And um, by and large, Minnesota season is September fifteenth to uh, December thirty first. So September fifteenth with rough grouse, rough grouse. getting the and, fir- yep. yep. And then pheasant picks up at one point, and and we go from there. Um, so I try to stay in Minnesota during that season, but outside of that. Um, Nebraska opens up before Minnesota does on September 1st. Um, so been to Nebraska in the last couple of years, um, handful of times, uh, chasing prairie chickens and sharp tails. Um, South Dakota is always great. Was over there for a sharp tail, uh, a sharp tail hunt earlier last September was planning to go back in January, but didn't make it. Um, and then, uh, have some plans, uh, have some plans for possibly Montana. Maybe I'm giving Will a look right now, uh, <laughs> Montana, maybe, uh, this coming September. Um, but we have on our calendars right now set for New Mexico in January. Uh, so yeah, we've got some, we've got some trips planned. Nice. Mm-hmm. Where in New Mexico are you going far South? Well, you're you're way ahead of the planning. Process. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the calendar. So I took a trip to New Mexico myself here this past year, and I was just curious. But we'll come back to that. All right. Um, all right so uh, budget. Well, how do you how do you identify what you're going to spend on a trip? Uh, you know, is that the first thing you discuss, or what? You know, what what's the budget here well the first thing we discuss is i mean we dream right where do we want to go what do we want to see yep. and is there public land we can usually uh, trample all over out there so. well and and we should talk about we we just i created it but you put your stamp of approval on it <laughs> we, we we made an excel spreadsheet because i'm kind of a nerd um of the birds uh of north america the upland game birds of north america the whole list and who's hunted what and it's a dream list and we've got dates on there it goes out to 2034 really it's way out there (laughs) but uh (laughs) there's plans for were you guys friends before you started working here never no no never met um (laughs) but we've got it planned we've got our days set until 2034 anyways um (laughs) hashtag besties yeah (laughs) well i um we've had multiple 10 plus hour car rides together a year Mm-hmm. For a few years, you know, you can just solve a lot of problems in a ten-hour ride. Yeah. Yeah. Create a lot as well. <laughs> <Create> a <few. laughs> probably, yeah. Yeah. probably. Yeah. So, but the question was um, about creating a budget. Yeah. Um, and usually, it goes with uh, Will saying, "Saving, how much is this going to cost?" <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he's more analytical, right? Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm, I'm always just, I'm along for the ride. I'm in. But I always think um, before he sends his spreadsheet my way, of course, mm-hmm. I always think about the big three, like. How much gas is it going to take me to get there or us to get there or whoever you're with? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's a license cost and where am I going to stay? Am I going to stay in a hotel? Am I going to get a cabin? Are we going to camp in tents, which we'll get to, I'm sure. <laughs> um, or, and, you know, like the Airbnb market, VRBO. I've mm-hmm. never, we've never done that because mm-hmm. not a lot of them are, are pet friendly and I love the dog on the bed. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a thing. Um, but that's an option as well, right? So, so for me, it's if all of that adds up and the number looks okay – um, and then you're going to have discretionary beef jerky, Mountain Dew, that kind of well, stuff. I, I did, <laughs> but, you know. I, I was thinking it's the big four because oh. you do have to eat and drink. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, sure. But, see, this is a thing that we do consider into this is that uh, what were you going to eat when you were at home? Right. Probably. And that was going to cost you some money. So if you just eat like you were at home, and I'm not talking like you're going to make a spaghetti, mm-hmm. you know, like you normally would. But if you eat reasonably – 
it shouldn't be something out of your budget because you were going to eat food at home. Now, uh, depending on what the trip is and where we're at, like uh, last or two years ago when we were in Nebraska, um, we decided we we're just going to go out to eat once every day. And so the town that we were in only – I mean, we had more days than they had places to eat. <laughs> right. <laughs> but we, we just hopped around and went out to eat every night just once. And yeah. we budgeted for that. Right. Um, and so – but I usually don't consider food too much of an expense because you were going to eat when you were at home. But now there is a difference here because Will has seriously harped on me about the food selections that I have brought with because he's not a fan of Oscar Mayer bologna. Right or canned fruit cocktail mix, clear yeah. um, uh, ramen, <laughs> well, spaghettios. Yeah, I mean, I have a higher you know, <laughs> quality of taste. You know, I like to warm up my my uh, little tortellinis, right? I like you know that a chef Raviolis. warm, Just not right? right out of the can. I don't want um, my sandwich meat to be able to patch a tire at the same time. <laughs> it's eighty cents to get more to get the deli stuff. Right, like so. I, I, you know, I don't know. It's just the way I like. I'm. A, I like luxury. You should, you, know? <laughs> you should have seen the look on his face when I crack open this cooler, and I was like, I got food for both of us, man. Uh-huh. And like, I had a block of cheese and some bologna and some bread, right? And some cans of ravioli. Yeah. And he was like, "You are joking." <laughs> And we didn't even have a knife to cut the cheese with. I just took a bite out of the block and handed it to him. And he just, <laughs> he was not about it. <laughs> We've set some boundaries since then. You know, any good relationship is a little scary at the beginning. But, um, no, I mean, the, back to the budget, you know. You get by well, with it. Well, yeah, well, you I get wanna, by. I want to ask about, it, it seems like an obvious question since we're talking about bologna and tortellini. <laughs> what about beer? Oh, are, yeah. you, are you guys Milwaukee's best budget or? Well, I don't, I don't drink beer. Yeah. Um, and I usually just, I don't drink very much at all. But Will, <clears throat> um, when, when our last Sharptail <laughs> Grouse trip that we did, this is not an exaggeration. I'm sorry, Will, to bring this out. Yeah. But we went to a liquor store every single day of that trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening, Mom. And you're, <laughs> and you're responsible for that. Yeah. <laughs> you and your but spreadsheets. That Well, that's coming out of Will's budget. <laughs> yeah, you got – I mean, I don't know. I like beer. I'm a beer drinker yeah. for sure. It's part of the – It's part of, once I get done following him and his uh, bionic PVC arm all over the place, <laughs> the guy needs a beverage or two at the end of the night. <laughs> Absolutely. And so basically, if you ever get a, a budgetary number out of Saban, mine is just 20 dollars more <laughs> just a case of bush light you know whatever's left is in the cooler in the morning and you just add to that right you know it's it's nothing fancy i can roll it yeah out. yeah so that's where we're at all right so twenty dollars more on top of what what are we ta- uh the sand hills in nebraska september 1st what's that going to cost us so this is this is another thing that you, you have to take into consideration is is your level of comfort in what like, what are your expectations out of the hunt? Because you can do this on a real budget, which is what I typically do. Um, and, you know, it's important to note budgeting time and budgeting money because you got to take in, you got to take both into account. Um, but when I have went to the Sandhills uh, in September, it's been fly down on Friday afternoon after work. And fly down means drive fast. Drive doesn't, fast, doesn't sorry. Doesn't mean airplane. Not actually fly. I use Will's jet. <laughs> the East Region rep gets a jet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fly down in, in my car. <laughs> um, That's and, a hybrid, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, when usually when I go with Will, we end up at a hotel for some reason. I and like showers. Yeah, because Will likes showers. And... 
um, which is another – I mean, just shopping around for better prices of hotels, um, which if you're staying in a town with one, you know, it is what it is. But usually it's pretty cheap. You kill the roaches and you just deal with it. But um, when I've stayed in the Sandhills, I camp usually. Um, and a, a good tip is always look for – like in – Nebraska, a lot of the wildlife management areas, uh, you can camp in the parking lot hmm. for free. And so um, I would just set up either sleep in the back of my SUV and just take the seats out. And I got six foot of space. I'm not that tall. And I can just sleep right there. Um, or bring a tent down and sleep there. Hmm. So either way, it's free lodging that way. Um, just so clarification, <clears throat> it does have to be a wildlife management area as opposed to open fields and water, Correct. you know, general public land isn't open to camping, um, yep. in the state of Nebraska or <laughs> any other state. Yeah. Um, the wildlife management areas, uh, there are some that specify that you cannot camp on them. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, there are some that say you can camp right here at the access if you would right. like. Fort um, Pierre grasslands in South Dakota you can camp on, too. Mm -hmm. You just have to do your research ahead of time. You have to time. do your research. And that's that's another thing that, I mean, it goes into this whole situation. I would imagine most of the people that are up with new tech and are into hunting know the many different kinds of public land and the strategies to get on to all the different kinds. Um, but understanding the different kinds of public land that you can get on and the limitations of each one is really important, whether you're trying to figure out camping or what you're going to hunt or where you're going to hunt. Um, cause that can change the whole situation for you. Hmm. So, <clears throat> all right. So you're, um, you're going to the sand hills. Sure. You, you guys still haven't thrown out a dollar figure for me yet. Oh, I got to bring out a, cal a calculator. Yeah. So what I would do, this is literally what I would do mm -hmm. to be really analytical. I've got an Excel spreadsheet open and, uh, I'd find a website that would tell me, Will's got an F-150. Mm -hmm. I would look up an F-150, put in the details about it. Um, and they will calculate, here's how many miles you are, and you put in the price of gas, and it will tell you this is how much it will cost. And you can do that longhand, but there's a website that does it for you, mm -hmm. so it's a lot easier. So it averages out price. Um, put all that in. I've got gas figured out. Tack on a couple extra hundred miles while we're there um, just because. And then uh, that's a price for gas. I don't know it off the top of my head. Cause, sure. But <clears throat> hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Hundreds of dollars yeah. for gasoline. But yeah. not, not 500 for sure. No. Two or I think, bucks. I think uh, when we were in southwest Nebraska, it was our gas budget was like 275 or something. I think so too. Which yeah. a, a good tip is find a friend because yeah. if you can split gas, it's cheaper than paying for it yourself. For sure. So, yeah. Hundreds. Yeah. And so if you think a <clears throat> couple hundred bucks on gas – um, roughly pretty much every state, it's going to be in that $80 to $120 for the license per person, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And there are some gems out there. Yeah. Um, if you can find them. Um, but, and I hope I'm not wrong cause I, I looked at this, um, a while ago, but I'm pretty sure in a, uh, New Mexico's, uh, non-resident license is like $43 or something. Mm. It's less than 50. Mm -hmm. And that made the difference between, hey, should we just go to Kansas and and do a quail hunt or where do you want to go? And it was literally I laid out budgets between going somewhere in the plains or going out to New Mexico. And that difference between the, the price of the license was like, we can afford New Mexico. Let's do it. Put that <laughs> license price in the gas tank and let's go. Yeah. So but the, the beauty, though, and why we've kind of been to Nebraska a couple of times and you have even more is – their licenses are on an annual basis. Right. So we yes. go in January, 
and we buy a license then. Mm-hmm. But that license is still good in September when we want to go down for sharp tips. Right. And that's something, when you explain that to me, that's different than Minnesota. I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dakota, you get a, what, two, two seven-day seven periods. Yeah, and it. South Dakota, two five-day periods, which, you know, there's tremendous bird hunting opportunities and bird numbers in the Dakotas. But, you know, if you're really trying to maximize your budget – like you buy it once in Kansas, and you just keep going back and right. back and yep. back and back. Well, and it's it's always tough, too, because, I mean, the Dakotas are great, and they're really close. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never do a seven-day trip right. just because I can't afford that much time. Right. Or, I mean, it would be a lot of gas, too, mm-hmm. you know. And so usually it ends up being a three- or four-day trip, so I ended up wasting three or four days. So. Do you guys, when you, so you've identified um, New Mexico as a destination this year, at what point, or do you contact uh, the Upland game biologist and and talk to to that he or she about opportunities in a state? Probably sometime, because I want to know a relative update of conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, I could call them now and they're going to say, well, if it keeps raining, it's going to be great for quail. Um, So probably in December. Um, you know, sometime maybe a month before we go is when I would contact somebody and ask about particulars, you know. Do you do that every time? Do you make a call like that? Not every time, but I, I have in the past on just about any time when I'm like breaking new territory into an area. You know, we've been to Nebraska a bunch. Um, if we were going to a new area of Kansas, I would just go because I can understand the terrain and, and some of the features there. Um, the, uh, New Mexico is going to be totally different. And so it's going to be someplace we're going to make a few phone calls. Yeah. <coughs> you, you talked about, um, being able to understand the cur- terrain in Kansas now, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to make, uh, explain <coughs> what you mean to a person that maybe hasn't ventured off to a different part of a, a different state. What, like, how long does it take to figure out habitat differences between say what you're used to in the the fringe minnesota where you know the transition where rough grouse and pheasants live <coughs> to making your first trip to the great plains how long did it take you to figure that out you have to temper your expectations <laughs> because uh and you've, you've said this you're gonna you're likely gonna waste well, not waste a day but you're gonna have a, an unproductive day or day and a half or maybe trip or maybe trip yeah i I mean i've been out to south dakota in a place i was unfamiliar with and and didn't do very well Mm -hmm. you know um so you're gonna take it's gonna be okay we're here now we're checked in um if you've got time in the afternoon you know you you go look at at all these places and with the advent of onyx hunt app and usually states have recreational compasses and things it's pretty easy to find that but um it's it's hard that first day just getting everything just understanding where you are and where are the birds i mean it's like a scouting trip Um, yeah and, and from there, I mean, you know, usually if you can get on a good spot or Saban finally listens to me and goes to a good <laughs> spot, um, we'll get on birds. But if he's leading the way and I'm just driving, uh, usually it's a little tougher. But yeah. Well, and we've made some big mistakes, oh, you yeah. know. and um, Like what? Well, I'm, I don't want to say particular locations, but we got snowstormed out once and ended up um, just looking for a hotel. And I just <laughs> – where we wanted to go, we couldn't go because there was too much snow. Uh, you literally couldn't travel down the roads at all. Um, and so we just picked the next out of the snow. There was a big chunk of public land there. Let's go. We get there, and it, I mean, it was, 
we would have we would have had much better success just staying back in Minnesota and hunting. Um, a lot of pressure, not many birds, and we realized that it was a little too late. We wasted a day going through the blizzard, mm. and then we wasted a day on this unproductive public land. And then the last day, we're like, let's just drive two hours away from here and see what happens. And then we stumbled upon a much better area, uh, and we went back there a few times. Mm. So <clears throat> it you gotta you gotta be. If you're into 10-hour drives with a buddy and chasing dogs around, you're always going to win. Yeah. Um, but if you're, I need to get there and shoot limits, then just a quick on-the-budget hunt is maybe not your thing, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, especially if you're going to go out and hunt public land. You don't know what you're going to run into. Is there a lot of pressure here or not? You'll find it eventually. If you're persistent, you're going to find good hunting. But you have to accept that there's going to be failures for sure. And, you know, back to your point, you know, like we said, we, we didn't know each other before we came to work here, but we both have that mindset, I think. And a lot of the, the folks I tend to hunt with now have that mindset where the whole experience is the trip. You know, it's, it's, not, it's fun to shoot birds. It's the best. It's fun to cook them. Uh, but the, the road trips, the scouting, the days where it's like, man, they won that day. The birds mm -hmm. won that day. Those are fun to talk about, too. Um, and then the days that you finally do lay into them and uh, the dogs work great, that makes it all the better. Mm -hmm. So, you, you, you know, it's this bird hunt on a budget. Uh, yeah, you, you have – I don't know. I love to go into it the mindset of I'm, I'm on vacation. It's a trip for us. So. A couple of things I want to add it to is I, I find, it, <laughs> find it funny or maybe ironic that we're talking about this today. At, at 1130 today, I had a call from a gentleman who just signed up as a Pheasants Forever member, and he was calling our office wondering, you know, where some of our acquisitions are, if we have them in certain states. So he was from, he was from Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, older gentleman, uh, he said, you know, I'm kind of kind of stuck to walking about two hours at a time, and then I'm either done for the day or I continue on in the afternoon. He's got a 10-year-old, Brittany, uh, you know, so there's some limitations there. And he asked me straight up, he goes, Do you, you know, what are, what are some good spots I can, I, can, I can go to this fall? And what I like to tell people is, well, I, re I rely a lot on looking at the upland hunting forecast and we all have our, we all have our honey holes and our sweet spots where, you know, we always know there's going to be a bird there or birds there. Um, you know, not depending on what else happens with the weather and whatnot, but I told him, you know, call back in September because after we've got the roadside counts in, um, that basically all these different States in, in the Midwest and the great plains regions do, you can look at those, um, and you can kind of start to decipher where those pockets of good upland birds are going to be. Um, you know, there might be a particular region or County that you're focusing on that has really high upland bird populations, but then you look on a public <clears throat> lands map and it's got like, maybe at two you know, spots. Yeah. Two, three, 400 <laughs> acre, uh, acres of wildlife management areas or what have you. Well, you know, unless you're going to, unless you plan on going and knocking on doors, which you can do and it have had success doing, um, you know, that might not be the best spot. Maybe going to the, the second best and getting out of the way and just finding all that public, public land that might've produced those birds in a given year. Um, I think is, uh, I think is really good. Yeah, and that <clears throat> that kind of gets into something else I was uh, thinking about. When we're planning these trips, usually uh, we have a you know a bird species in mind. Kind of we, mm -hmm. we want to go shoot bobwhites, um, so we kind of know generally we need to go to this part of the country. Um, but step number two is find public land. You know where can we get out on? Um, we're big fans of public land, and I don't know. I can't remember the last time we hunted private property. I do hunt some, but. Um, 
yeah, we, we usually make trips to public land. And so our destination is someplace where there's lots of public land. But the second part to that um, that you have to take into account is uh, what is the people situation look like? You know, is there a lot of pressure on this piece of public land? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are you next to a metropolitan area where there's 200,000 people living there? You know, then you're probably still going to find birds, but it's, yep. you know, it's going to be tough. Is the, is the parking lot, <clears throat> is the parking just ransacked by tire tracks? Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. So here's, here's like a perfect example. I held a media hunt this last year with, with Anthony Houck of Pheasants Forever, myself and uh, Outdoor Life and, and some other um, just media journalists out there, outdoor journalists. And we pulled up to a piece that we had hunted in the past uh, near Aberdeen, South Dakota. And we pulled up. Uh, it had been a, kind of a mini blizzard for two days. Nothing too bad, though, but it just it piled up uh, the snow on top of, you know, cattails and switchgrass pretty good. Um, there weren't any boot tracks, so to speak of it. it was, this was a huge area, any boot tracks, so to speak of at two or three different parking lots we visit visited. And then, you know, going into our strategy too, we looked to see what's happening on the surrounding landscape. So right across the way, I mean, there was a thousand acres of corn that they're, they're working towards this wildlife area and they're almost done combining it and just pulling in. You can, you see a bird or two, you know, coming, coming across the road and piling into that area. I mean, that's, Pretty good, pretty good sign. It gets you fired up when you're pulling yeah. into a place like that. But using using that strategy and looking at uh, things that are going on in the surrounding area that might contribute to maybe better bird numbers or just uh, a better hunt because nobody's been there, um, I think those are really important things too. Yeah, it does bring up a question that I've gotten twice via, <clears throat> excuse me, via email, um, where they wanted me to ask biologists on on staff of pheasants forever and quail forever and. I've got some in front of me now. Um, they they, they want to know, the emailers want to know, when you're driving from the road, how can you assess if a piece of property, public land, looks birdy? You know, if from a pheasant hunting perspective, if you're driving along, how do you assess, hey, that one's worth getting out and walking, that one... I'm going to keep driving and find something different. Thankfully, what do you look for? We've got a restoration specialist there over you go. here <laughs> that works to make properties. And, and part of it is, well, I'll let you answer. Well, I would say I mean, this is a thing that I think about all the time, and it's hard to explain this because you have to look at this landscape with two different sets of eyes. And I, I do this all the time. Um, during the off season, during my, my job, I'm a bird producer. I want to make as many birds as this landscape can hold, but during uh, the hunting season, I'm a I'm a harvester. I'm I'm hunting birds, and those things they do overlap the idea of what I'm looking for, but they're not always exactly the same thing. And so, when I'm uh, when I'm going out to find a spot, I mean we're always looking for edges. Mm-hmm. I mean we're constantly looking for edges, but when I'm trying to produce birds, I'm looking for grass. You know, and you need to produce birds if you want to hunt birds. And we're talking about, you know, grassland birds, pheasants, sharptails, mm-hmm. chickens, bobwhites, whatever. <clears throat> I'm looking for chunks of grass. And you might find the the 160 of grass somewhere um, that it itself looks good. It's got a lot of diversity of plant structure in there. It's got lots of forbs. It's got nice native grasses. Um, you might find that, but if you're looking at the surrounding landscape and there's no other grass around, well, then you've got 160 acres that has to produce every bird that anybody is going to shoot off of there. So you have to remember, 
that's all that that place has. Now, if you go and you've got a 160 and there's a CRP field on one side and a nice pasture on the other side, um, and it's got extended habitat around it, you know that more birds are being produced than just this one area can produce. I mean, there's lots of details that you can get into about the quality of the grasslands and the specifics of what you're looking for. But in the fall, I'm looking for, is there grass around? And then if I can find lots of grass, lots of grass, where can I find an edge? Or where can I find a big cattail slough where birds can get from cattails up to a cornfield or a bean field? Where can mm-hmm. they get from food to cover? And that's where I want to be. So Yeah, that's that's <clears throat> terrific guidance. The other thing I think about, and comes from a flatlander, right? When you're driving around Minnesota, mm-hmm. most of the time you can see from one corner to the other corner, right? You can see the majority of the, the, the property. Mm-hmm. You go even down to the Great Plains, rolling hills of Kansas, out to the Dakotas, what you see from the road might not be but a tenth you know, 10% yep. of what's actually there. Like right over your vision is a slough or a, or a, um, a hollow, right? It drops down and there's a ravine that holds the Valhalla of quail populations, right? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Onyx earlier. That's one way to look at it, pulling up a Google map, satellite map, pulling up your atlas, trying to identify some topography changes that, that's helpful too. Well, they're edges as well. I mean, edges to me aren't just a cornfield or a bean field right. next to yeah. next to a, you know, a wildlife habitat, but edges within the complex itself um, seem to harbor at least you know pheasants and quail. That's where we find them. Yep. Uh, you know, there's coolies and and little ravines that you, sometimes you got to get out there to see them. Right. I mean, you can't see everything from the truck, but that's those are spots where um, it doesn't take much time where we're just going through a big expanse to go, well, why don't we just go over mm-hmm. to the ravine? We'll start on one end, walk into the wind and see what happens. And that's where we're finding these. Birds. And some of those are gems because everybody and their brother that drove by yep. looked at it and said, eh, mm-hmm. that ain't worth our yeah. time. Yep. No. But when you open that door and go find it, like, it's, Oh, it's well, I took, <laughs> I took, uh, you guys, uh, when we did the episode of the flush out to a spot that, it wasn't particularly good at the moment because there was standing cornfields all the way around it. Um, but you have to walk from the road. It's only a couple hundred yards wide mm-hmm. and you have to walk through some woods, some pretty decent woods before you get back to where the birds are. But once you get back through there, there's a cattail slough there that can hold 50, a mm-hmm. hundred birds. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's all mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for not bringing up the master angler rooster I missed. Yeah, well, uh, they'll get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got it on camera, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, one of the better misses of the year, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, all right, so w- what else have we missed for keys to success on, uh, you know, doing a, a bird hunting trip on a budget? You know, Will, you mentioned... Um, you know, eating birds. Is that something you normally do when you find some success? Do you do you guys uh, get the camp chef out and have a tailgate feast? We, we've never – I've never done that. I don't believe that you have. It, it's not out of the cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I'm – you know, when I'm traveling, I like to be efficient as well. Yeah. And, and and taking your camping gear with where I'm – you know, and your, your camp <laughs> chef and all that, it's taken up space and – We've usually with three dogs, one truck, and, and our gear, it's 
it's not in the cards or gets left at home and we can eat, you know, sandwiches and things like that. But I think, you know, as we find more spots we're comfortable with and we can go back and, hey, we can camp here and it's comfortable and Will gets a shower, um, that's in the car. I mean, that's that sounds like the dream to me is we can mm-hmm. we can eat it right there. I love that on your guys' rooster on the rooster road trip where you add that component in. It's right. it's it's something we haven't done, but it, it's it's something I want to do, and uh, I need to get better at cooking those things anyway. I find a lot too, as far as like as far as the food aspect goes, and we talked about whether you know you budget that or not because you mm-hmm. got to eat at home, right? But um, <clears throat> you know, I think one of the things that I I do on a lot of trips with with buddies in the office here like we went we went bear hunting last year and i think we survived that entire week on on animals that we had harvested <laughs> harvested the previous year you know oh, what really? i mean oh, yeah. i mean there's a cost that goes into that but the per 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 pound mm-hmm. cost after you shoot a shoot a couple deer and you know and a turkey and a bunch of pheasants and rough grouse the previous year and you're bringing bringing those with on you know a spring spring bear hunt or whatever it was that we went on to um, you know, I think that's, that's an easy way to get your, your meal costs down and get costs down in general. And it's an easy way to sell it to my wife, to be honest with you. <laughs> she's like, what are you guys, you know, you're going to go out to eat every night. You're going to go, he's going to go get prime or everyone. It's like, no, we're your not going to. has a very interesting voice. She's yeah. Sounds, yeah. She's yeah. Sounds, <laughs> yeah. She sounds lovely. Yeah. She's, she's great. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, you know, I just think it's one of those things where if you can, if you can bring some of the some of the uh, species that you've harvested in in the previous year makes makes things really easy because mm-hmm. I, I like making a lot of uh, you know sausage and um, you know brats and things like that. It's just really easy to to cook it on the road. And nothing against gas station beef jerky and things, but you know smoke smoke some salmon if you got it. Smoke some fish if mm-hmm. you've got it. Uh, mm-hmm. Bring some jerky from the like just like you said. Yep. That instead of going and every time you're stopping for fuel, you're getting some snacks. I mean. Just throw it in a cooler and uh, grab that. It usually tastes right. better and it makes me feel better. And if you really want snacks, don't go and get you know the really expensive stuff at the gas station every single time you stop. Go to the grocery store and buy it in bulk before you go and have it in the truck kind of thing. Yeah. You know? There's it's cheaper ways to do this. Sounds <laughs> like a backstory there between you two. He was looking you dead in the eye when he was telling you that. Well, <laughs> there's still tension about the food. You know, it's, I'm not. I'm not letting that one die it. yet. Yeah, you can cut it with a knife. You, you teased earlier um, uh, trying to convince Will that uh, Montana is a destination. I don't think I needed to convince him. Uh, we've just went back and forth on it because uh, we've been talking about Montana for a while. Um, it's just a matter of putting it on the calendar, and then it will happen. Yeah. Um, but. Nebraska has had our ear for a while just because um, the license deal where you can buy it in January and mm-hmm. then you'll be good in September. But this year is a little different. So here's my plea. Okay. Here's, here I'm laying out my case. If we went to Nebraska now, we don't have a January license. So we're buying a license in September. We're not going to get back to Nebraska. I mean, you can if, if you were just going to go. But we're not going to get back to Nebraska again until, well, maybe January. And then you'd have to buy another one. So you're going to buy a license anyways. It might as well be a Montana license. And then we're going to New Mexico in January. So you're definitely not going to Nebraska. See? Right. See, it's a month. Actually, Nebraska is between here and New Mexico. Okay? I know. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> stop on the way Thank down. you for the geography <laughs> lesson. <laughs> My friend, some, not very good with maps. 
Well, I mean, and that's this is the this is the these are the kind of conversations we have exactly. all the time. Like yeah. the listeners just heard what goes on on the phone. When we're planning these. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's not it's not you know I'm I'm just a I'll go. You know I love this stuff. Yeah, I would argue buy all three. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna go. <laughs> well, yeah. well, you said on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys just ate your birds, <laughs> right. you'd have enough to buy three licenses. Uh, good go. point. If we took my Ford Focus instead of your F one fifty, you just sure. stuffed everything in the trunk. There we go we'd save some money on gas too (laughs) jared any closing thoughts on uh traveling bird hunting adventure on a budget you know i i just like i like the concept of it um i did a lot of it in college i still do a lot of it now and i think whether it's whether you're going on a bird hunt or i've got an upcoming coming fishing trip i've been doing on a budget with my dad who's flying Mm -hmm. in from tucson arizona it's it's the same concept, right? You're you're looking at licenses, you're looking at public access places to go, where you can stay. We found a, a nice little resort, 40, 40 bucks a night for a for a rustic uh, for a rustic campground um, type lodging, you know. So um, I I I really like the concept of it. Um, I think it's open for a lot of a lot of people to go and do. Um, and I don't think that, you know, whether you want to, if you want to go to South Dakota, go to South Dakota. If you want to go to New Mexico or Montana or anywhere else for that matter, go and you can do it on a budget friendly trip. Um, that's really not going to break the bank. It's going to keep you out of cahoots with your significant other. <laughs> and, maybe, uh, maybe some others, you might be in cahoots. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just a great idea and, and, you know, the same Saban pointed out earlier is, you know, if you've, if you've got dogs and you want to get them on birds, I think doing a budget bird hunt is the way to go and, uh, expose those dogs to as many experiences as you can get. And that's, what's going to build that bond. And it's going to build the character in your dog to make them even better in the years to come. Saban, any closing thoughts? Yeah. And what I would add to that is it seems like a lot of people's hesitation is, um, just like a fear of it, of the unknown and not, like I don't want to go on this trip because what if it what if it's not good? What if we don't shoot birds? Mm-hmm. So what? If you don't shoot birds, you don't shoot birds. But the only way it happens is if you just go and you're going. I I would bet money you're going to do it and you're going to realize oh that was not nearly as intimidating as I thought it was going to be. It's just if you put a little bit of planning into it, a little bit of thought, you'll be just fine and it's not an issue. Will the thrill, the beast from the east, <laughs> wrap this baby up for us? I mean, there's whether it's Jared Saban, anybody. I mean, the the theme is is already showing itself. It's it's just go. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I like to travel. I like to travel to hunt birds, and I like to travel to fish. But I like to travel as well. You know, the more beautiful places you can see in this country or the world, uh, and the more people you can you meet, uh, the more perspectives you take in. Um, and, and just the more enjoy the landscape we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minnesota is great, but there are a lot of great places. And uh, I like to go see them. And so, as Sabin mentioned, as Jared mentioned, um, if just go. Don't be afraid. Sleep on a couch. Uh, stay in a $40 lodge. Uh, bring smoked salmon. <laughs> and jer- I mean, just do it. Just go <laughs> out there and take it all in and enjoy what we're, uh, what we're lucky to have. And uh, that's bird hunting on a budget. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. And I, I think ultimately it does make you a better bird hunter mm-hmm. when you go out and explore different habitats. And, you know, it opens your mind when you come back home to, huh, I n- I've never given that a shot. And yeah. you might find a <coughs> brand new honey hole in your backyard. 
Jared. Last thing I will add is that, you know, if a lot of times people are looking looking for a place to go and they start researching. As long as we have the Minnesota guys here and we've been focusing on a, a project we're working on right now to put all of PF's acquisitions and then eventually all the properties we're improving as well uh, on our website. Um, that'll be coming up later this summer, maybe early fall. Uh, it's, a, it's a process in motion, but uh, I'm happy to report that eventually we will have all of our acquisitions and, and all of our improvements we've done and continue to do uh, on one site where people can find them and say, like, I know that property is going to be the best it can be for, for producing birds, and uh, I want to go check it out yep. and schedule it on your budget bird hunt. Great point. A um, couple final thoughts. When you do make a trip, um, you know, one tip that we've learned through Rooster Road Trip is figuring out the veterinarians um, at it's the destination where you're going to be just to have that phone number uh, at your ready in case you don't have wireless service. And you just never know what uh, that dog is going to encounter in a new uh there's lots of porcupines cover. and barbed wire out there. You know, sure. absolutely. You go to Montana, for instance, and you're like, well, there are not that many trees here. Well, there's still a pile of porcupines in yeah. trees, or in, uh, without the trees in the Montana, Montana well, prairie. And, I mean, from hunting in Minnesota my whole life, there's really not very many fences in Minnesota. When you consider, when you go to some of the western states, there are fences everywhere, yeah. and barbed wire fences are pretty common. Um, and if your dog's not real wise about getting through barbed wire fences, you could end up at the vet. So it's a good tip to yeah. know, know where they're located. And um, our best to uh, you and your family and Skipper and Gilligan. i <laughs> yep. uh, looking forward to their first adventures on the bird tails this yep. coming fall. Yep. And Will, I, I don't know if you realize, you, you basically said smoke them if you got them during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Crack open that bush light and smoke them <laughs> if you got them, folks. This has been uh, the uh, Traveling Bird Hunter Adventure on a Budget with uh, Jared Wickland, Saban Adams, Will Clayton, and I'm Bob St. Pierre. Super uh, fun episode of On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. If you want to talk to these guys, get some tips on habitat, on hunting, on starting a chapter. Sabin Adams can be reached at sadams at pheasantsforever.org. Will Clayton is available at wclayton at pheasantsforever.org. We'd love to get a chapter started in Mound, <laughs> right in his backyard. And if it's an all-girls chapter, that would even be even better. <laughs> even better. We, we need uh, all the gals to get involved with Pheasants Forever, including all the guys. But uh, really excited to see the legendary Long Tails women's chapter of Pheasants Forever take off. And I think there's a lot more opportunity um, to, to engage women in, in um, our organization, which is a very, very good thing. Uh, I'm Bob St. Pierre. Thank you so much for listening to On the Wing podcast, and we will see you down the road in the field. Ah, it's almost fishing season, maybe on the water. Talk to you soon.